0: A Blessing to uh, be upon the preaching of Your Word. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be pleasing in Your sight. O God Almighty, our rock and our salvation. Amen. All right, this is the last sermon in Ecclesiastes. Uh, We have been in Ecclesiastes since, I think... uh, November, so we are now, um, Lord willing, the last sermon. Uh, who knows, I may change my mind and preach again <laughs> on this uh, passage. Uh, here in this last verse of Ecclesiastes, in verse 14, Solomon drops a bombshell. He says, for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Every deed of every person. Every secret thing we have ever done, whether good or evil. Every secret thing we have said. Every secret thing we have thought. Everything. This is not an isolated teaching in the Bible that's tucked away at the book, at the end of Ecclesiastes. Rather, the Bible is abounding with this teaching about a final great day of judgment where everyone will appear before God and everyone will give an account. You will be there. I will be there. My wife will be there. My children will be there. I feel it is helpful, or it would be helpful if we briefly browse some of the many passages that teach very directly about this great judgment that we will attend. So in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, the writer of Hebrews says, just as it is appointed for man to die once, after that, comes the judgment. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse twelve. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Matthew chapter twelve, verses thirty six and thirty seven, Jesus said, I tell you on that day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word that they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. In Romans, two, six, in Romans 2, verse 16, Paul refers to that day when, according to his gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, the Apostle Paul says, Therefore do not, do not pronounce judgment before the time. Before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things that are now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. In Romans chapter 14, the Apostle Paul Ask the Roman uh, Christians, why do you pass judgment on your brother, or why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each one of us will give an account of himself or herself to God. John chapter five, verses twenty-seven through twenty-nine. Jesus is speaking, he said, and God has given, uh, him, the Son of Man, authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this for an hour is coming when all who hear, I'm sorry, all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, and those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and to those who have done evil, the resurrection of judgment. Two more passages. Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 33, Jesus says, "When the Son of Man comes in, in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on the on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate people uh, one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and He will place the sheep on His right, but the goats on His left." Revelation 20. Gives a, another picture of that same uh, judgment. Uh, John, the Apostle John saw, Then I saw a great, great white throne, and him who was seated on it, and from his presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And when they were judged, each one of them according to what they had done. Being Protestants, we emphasize the doctrine of justification by faith apart from works. Uh, we are, because we are not saved by works, we give too little thought to the prominence of our works in God's eyes. God is very aware of our works. Our every secret thought, every, uh, our every whispered word, our every hidden deed, all of it is known to God. He examines all our words, our deeds, our actions, our thoughts very closely and He will bring it and bring them all before His judgment seat on the great day of judgment. He examines our works to test the authenticity of our faith. And this is very important. Many who call upon the name of the Lord do not have works that demonstrate that their faith is real. And so God is going to look at our works, examine them closely, to see whether our faith in Him is true and authentic, or whether it's false and a sham. Normally, I don't quote these many passages in a sermon, but I want to quote a few passages And listen here to the importance that Jesus attaches to our works. The passage we just read with the children, Matthew 7, verses 19 and 20, Jesus says, Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruit. Matthew 7, 21-23, Then, just continuing on through Matthew 7. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to Me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of My Father who is in heaven. On that day many will say to Me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in Your name and cast out demons in Your name and do many mighty works in Your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew You. Depart from Me you workers of lawlessness. These people said that they were doing many great works. The only great work that they were doing was moving their mouth, saying, Lord, Lord. But their actions were not just empty. He says that they were workers of lawlessness. They were disobedient to God's Word. Continuing on through Matthew chapter 7, the very next passage Matthew 7, 24 through 27. You know this passage. This is the passage of the wise builder who built his house on a rock. And then there was the foolish builder who built his house on the sand. Guess what distinguishes the wise builder from the foolish builder? Listen carefully. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, The wise man not only heard the words of Jesus, but he put his words into action. He was obedient to the Lord's call. The foolish man heard the words, did not put them into practice. And Jesus said, He built the house, but it was built on the sand. Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 15, If you love Me, You will keep my commandments. James chapter 2. We're all familiar with this passage. Verses 14 through 17. James asks, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food? And one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Now, I am not suggesting that we are saved by good works. By no means am I saying that. We are saved by faith alone. But then true faith in Christ, as I was teaching the children, is going to bear fruit. You have Jesus in your heart. You have the Holy Spirit if the Holy Spirit has made His His home in your heart, you are going to bear fruit. You are going to be a loving person. You are going to be gentle. You are going to be patient. You are going to be kind. You are going to have self-control. The Fruits of the Spirit are going to be popping out in your life. You have no fruit, but yet you are saying, Lord, Lord, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, you're not fit for the kingdom of heaven you'll be cut down and cast into the fire so is your faith genuine how terrible it will be to die with a false faith how terrible to find out that you've been preparing uh, I'm sorry that you have been papering over insincere repentance with the doctrine of justification That is why the Apostle Paul exhorted the Corinthians to examine themselves in in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5. He said, examine yourselves and see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail to meet the test. Are you in the faith? Are you bearing fruit? Is your faith real? Is Jesus Christ your Savior? Or is He more like fire insurance? Earlier in chapter 12, Solomon says that if you live a life without remembering your Creator, remember this from last week, then your life has been vanity. It's been empty. Actually, in verse 8, he says, Vanity of vanities. Everything you've done, even your very existence, has been a vanity. Or as he says earlier in the book of Ecclesiastes, a chasing after the wind. So he says in verse 8, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. And he says this immediately after talking about the certainty of death. Most of the world is living vain lives. People living all around us are living vain lives. They will live. They will do this or that. They'll have their accomplishments. They'll have their offspring. And then they will die. Solomon tells us over and over again in the book of Ecclesiastes. Their accomplishments will be left behind. Their offspring will themselves repeat the same vain process. So on and so forth. What if this is all there was to life? What if the book of Ecclesiastes ended with verse 8? That basically, this life is all that there is. What if the entire message of the Bible ended at verse 8? How pointless and empty would the meaning of life be? Without significance. Without purpose. Empty. Vain. A chasing after the wind. If there were no God. That's what life would be like. The secular view, vision of life is this is all there is. When you die and the chemical processes that make up you, when they stop functioning, you cease to exist. What a horrid view of life. What a terrible way to live your life. Living all the while approaching non-existence, all the while approaching meaninglessness and non-significance, and not only you as an individual, but all of life. If the secular vision um, of, of life were all there is, this world, when it was over, would have been pointless all the different things, all the different accomplishments, meaningless. Without God, life is meaningless. Because without God, there would be no judge. And without a judge, there would be no judgment. And without a judgment, there would be no meaning to life. Without any meaning to life, there would only be meaningless despair. But Solomon did not end his book at verse 8 because he knew that there is a God to whom we must give account. Therefore, Solomon took great pains to write the book of Ecclesiastes. He wrote very carefully. He studied life very carefully. He arranged the book of Ecclesiastes very carefully. And then he put his teaching into these short, pithy, Proverbs to engage our imagination and make His te- his teaching stick. You know, so we We struggled through Ecclesiastes. We struggled these past six months trying to figure out what He was saying. But once we would figure out what He was saying, it was profound. And it sticks with us. For instance, Solomon could have said in chapter 2 that Living in community is very important. I'm sorry, in chapter 4. But instead of saying living in community is important, he said a a threefold cord is not easily broken. It grabs us. We see the picture of a um, threefold cord. It's so much stronger than a single strand and so it becomes memorable. Or in chapter 2, Solomon could have said, don't think that life here is about possessing earthly pleasure that money can't buy. Well, that's a truth. But he put it differently. He said that pursuing such pleasures is like striving after wind. And so he wrote these Proverbs uh, to, to, and, and arrange the book of Ecclesiastes to make the teaching stick because we have to do more than just listen to what he says. We have to engage our mind to picture the, um, what he is painting before us. And so that's what he's saying in verses 9 and 10. He says, besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. See, Solomon knows what is at stake is eternity. And so he studied life, and he repented of his sins. As we saw in the book of Kings, how... Um, how wicked he had um, been early in his life. But he repented of those things. He thought deeply about his life. He thought deeply about his mistakes. He thought deeply about the Word of God. And he wrote to be as truthful as he could. We don't know if he knew that he was writing the Word of God and that every word he said here was true, whether he had that self-awareness or not. But what we have here in Ecclesiastes is God's Word. It is true. And so, with great effort, he did everything he could to help us avoid the self-delusion of saying, Lord, Lord, when we have no works that uh, show our faith to be real. He, he wrote so carefully and so urgently because he didn't want any of us ending up in an eternity of hell away from the Lord. And so he knows God uses His truth to guide him toward Himself. And that's what he's saying in verse 11. The words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed that are, that are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. God's Word, he's saying, acts as a goad. Well, What was a goad? A goad was a tool a farmer would use to keep his, his animals from straying off the path or from stopping as He drove them along the path. A goad was a stick that had some nails sticking out of the end of it. And so if an animal was unresponsive to his commands, or the animal, like a mule, decided to stop and was going to be stubborn and not go anywhere, the farmer would uh, stick the animal with the goad, not to injure the animal, But just enough, uh, inflict just enough pain to get the animals full attention and cooperation. And that's what God's Word is like for Christians. God's Word goads our conscience, making us uncomfortable enough to turn away from sin. God's Word also acts as a stimulus to the soul to keep us moving, keep us moving toward God when we're going through adversity. One commentator said that God's Word is God's cattle prod used to push us not to expect lasting satisfaction in money or pleasure, but only in the goodness of God. So God's Word sticks us when we're going astray. It prods us and goads us when we're being slow about our obedience. In verse 11, Solomon says that God's Word is given by our shepherd. So if you see in verse 11, I hope that your translation of the Scriptures has the word shepherd capitalized. In the ESV, the word shepherd is capitalized, and that's good because Solomon here in verse 11 is referring to God when he says, The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. God has given us His Word, and if God is the Shepherd, what does a Shepherd tend to? Well, it, it tends to animals. We need prodding by God. The Bible calls calls the type of animals we are sheep. Psalm 100. Sheep are the dumbest animals of the farm livestock. And so we need a goad to keep us on the path. We need the goad to keep us moving forward. We need the goad even though it might be painful. Paul says in Second Timothy chapter three sixteen all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for reproof ouch. Who likes being reproved? Or correction ouch. Who likes being corrected? And for training in righteousness. Sometimes, even in our Bible study, there is no gain without pain as God trains us in righteousness. So let me ask you, are you open to the goad? Or do you have everything together? When was the last time you submitted to the Word of God and acted on it even when the Word of God was telling you to do something you didn't want to do? God will use His Word to humble your pride. He will use His Word to upset your priorities. He will use His Word to offend your behavior. He will use His Word to challenge your thinking. So don't hide or resist God's word because there is a day coming when all of us will die, and then we must give account for whether our faith was real. And God will examine the fruit of your obedience to make His determination whether your faith is real. In verse 12, Solomon gives us a little warning uh, to overthinking. How or whether we will obey. Verse 12. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books, there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. Sometimes people think too much with very little action. Uh, I'm a a General George Patton fan. And he knew this principle to be to be true, that people thought too much when they ought to be um, acting. I think there was a quote that I didn't have in my notes, and it's something like this. A, an imperfect plan uh, implemented recklessly is better than the perfect plan never implemented at all. Uh, he also said, victory in the next war will depend upon execution, not plans. Elsewhere, he said, you keep moving and the enemy cannot hit you. When you dig a foxhole, you dig your grave. And this is what Solomon is saying in verse 12. He's saying, what is required for your obedience is not more study, but more obedience to the things that are already revealed. Solomon drives home this point in verse 13. He says, The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. To fear God is to honor, revere, and to worship Him. To worship Him as God. This is uh, the beginning and only means by which we live a wise life. A small child can live a wiser life than the greatest leaders of the world by living in obedience to God's commands. Let me put that a little differently. I'm not saying that they can. Let me more accurately, a small child is living a wiser life than the great leaders of the world by living in obedience to God's commands. Living in obedience to God's commands makes you wiser, smarter than you otherwise would be. No matter how much book learning you have, no matter how much power you have, living according to God's Word will make you wiser and make your life a lot happier. Solomon says that obeying God is the whole duty of man. Literally, it's translated, this is all, this is all there is to man. In other words, This is what life life is all about when he says, um, this is the end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God, keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. The most important thing for any person uh, to do is to worship God and obey His holy commandments. This is more than simply one doing their duty. It is your whole business. The sum total of what God requires of of you and of me and of everyone who has ever lived is to fear Him and keep His commandments. And so Solomon concludes with verse 14. Verse 14, God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. God will judge all humanity. This is Solomon's way of saying that nothing is vanity. He spent... Uh Twelve and a half chapters talking to us about how life is vanity. He comes to verse 14. And this is His way of saying, nothing in life is vanity. God will judge, therefore everything matters. Every deed of every person, every secret thing that we have ever done, said, or thought, everything, whether good or evil, on the day of judgment, it will be revealed that everything anyone ever did or said or thought has eternal significance. It will all matter because God's going to bring everything into judgment. And what matters most of all is what we have done with the Lord Jesus Christ. He went to the cross to suffer God's judgment in our place. He alone has power to save us from the just judgment do unto us because of our sins. On that glorious and great and dreadful day when God is bringing everything we've done into judgment, how wonderful it will be to have an advocate, to have one who came into this vain world, lived perfectly, followed all of God's commandments on our behalf, and then went and died a death in our place, that in Him we might have life. What matters most of all is what we have done with Jesus Christ. Have you fled to Him? If not, will you flee to Him now? Death is coming, Solomon says, and after that the judgment. You'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Will you take Him and trust Him to be your Savior? Let's pray together. Our God and our Father, we look to You this morning and we ask that as we have studied the book of Ecclesiastes, that You expand our perspective on life to understand life, to understand our own life within the perspective of uh, Solomon's uh, book of Ecclesiastes. Lord, help us to live for You. Help us to do all things for Your honor and Your glory because we know that one day we will live in Your presence. We ask in Jesus' name, Amen.